This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show. Our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. In today's show, I got a simple tip that's going to save you money on these rising electric bills. And later, I want to help you save money buying jewelry. It's actually a savings bonanza on this podcast. So I have been obsessive going back to the 1970s about reducing my use of energy as technology has changed over the last 40 plus years. This has just been truly what I hope is a healthy obsession for me, figuring out how to reduce my consumption of energy and where it comes from. You know, I've been a big solar guy for years and years and years. Solar market's going through a bit of a rough patch right now because of a problem with uh, tariffs and where the supplies are coming from, blah, blah, blah. Market hates uncertainty. And, but solar, over time, has gotten so much cheaper. And even with disruptions in the marketplace recently, the cost of solar is down about 80 plus percent from what it was 10 years ago to install it either what's called utility scale where you see those huge solar farms when you're driving along an interstate or sometimes you'll see them flying over an area in an airplane and then the rooftop solar it's more efficient than it used to be and the payback in many cases much better than it was before But that's how you can defray the cost of energy consumption. What if you could just reduce what you consume? There are all kinds of things happening in this area. I want to deal first with a big one. So there have been huge improvements in home air conditioning systems. And believe it or not, the newest home air conditioning systems use a third of the energy of what had been common in the marketplace. These energy systems first developed in Japan, have come to the United States, but a lot of air conditioning companies aren't trained on and don't sell these new ultra-efficient air conditioners. By the way, they're not necessarily more expensive than the kind you would have gotten before. The installation is different, though. And the way the air conditioning routes in your home is different. A lot of these systems don't use traditional ductwork, where a lot of the money you're spending on air conditioning ends up going into an attic or something like that, leaking from the ductwork rather than going to cool you in your home. But that's a bigger decision, bigger issue and not something that will make a difference as we're seeing these higher electric bills 
right now across the country because of the war in Ukraine. So if you ever want an explanation about what that is, all you need to know is natural gas is in most places the most important fuel for providing electricity in the United States. And because of the war, the demand for natural gas from other sources other than Russia has gone through the roof and so have the prices. And that's why you're seeing higher electric bills because of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. But there are things you can do instantly that don't cost a whole lot that can make a big difference. And one of the simplest is installing LED light bulbs. If you're still sitting there with old traditional bulbs around your home, the new bulbs use 15% of the energy, 1-5% of the energy of the old ones. And they can last 20 or more years, so you don't have to replace them. And they used to be really expensive, but we have deals on Clark deals all the time where you can get these light bulbs for somewhere around 75 cents to about a dollar and a quarter a bulb is where the bargain prices tend to fall. So it's not a huge expense to change out the lighting in your home and that will have a meaningful effect on your electric bill immediately. I've talked before about spending a moderate amount of money to get adequate insulation in your attic or in your home because that's a way you can reduce the cost of heating and cooling in your house by a huge amount and the payback is usually in months where you recover the cost of putting in adequate insulation in your home. And I'm going to repeat something that you may not have heard me say or you heard me say but you didn't do anything about. Get one of these AI thermostats. Nest is the most well-known. They will reduce the cost of your electric bill for cooling by about 25% because they learn your patterns and they automatically adjust the temperature in your home to the optimal level to reduce the cost of your electric bill each month. There are other things you can do as well, but those are things that I want you to think about that you're not just a victim of these higher electric bills. You can seize the initiative and lower the bills permanently. And with those thermostats, we also often have deals whenever there's a sale on one of those at ClarkDeals.com. So it used to be to it used to be deals. a one company deal. It used to be just Nest. Nest, yeah. Now there's a zillion of these at all different price points. And the big thing, read reviews on the ease of use. Because the problem with these thermostats is if you buy one that's too complicated to set up and use properly, you're not going to get the energy savings. You want to make sure the one you buy is ultra easy to use. Well, we have a question from Carrie in Kansas. We are looking to update our kitchen appliances, refrigerator, dishwasher, cooktop, stove, and oven. It seems like appliances are really expensive. In your opinion, would you say they're inflated in price due to the current supply chain issues, or are they pretty on point? Also, when would be the best time to purchase? Not right now. (laughs) Appliances are much better in price than they were months ago when there were extreme shortages. So the extreme shortages were a train wreck. It was a perfect storm because two things happened at once. We had all the disruption in production 
of appliances here and overseas because in factories, people working close together, COVID spread like wildfire through factories and there were continuous shortages of labor and plant shutdowns at plants that made appliances. Then we had the problems with the shipping delays that were going on in the overloaded ports and the really high costs to ship a shipping container and appliances they're coming from overseas these are big things so it was a uh, significant increase in the cost of just shipping those from asia over the pacific ocean the great news is that the cost of shipping has been declining the ports are not nearly as clogged as they were before and so some of the supply chain stuff has gotten better the covid in the factories has generally gotten to be much less a factor. And that's why I'm seeing a lot of real sales on appliances now versus before. Prices are still elevated, though. And if you got some time, time is your friend here. Because particularly with the Federal Reserve raising interest rates, that's going to sap some of the demand for doing these kind of projects and that will also help with prices. I didn't say what I said. There was two things that happened that were the perfect storm. The other was that when people were stuck at home so much of 20 and 21, and people were looking around their homes, they were saying, you know what? This bathroom looks ancient or this kitchen looks sad. And so people being stuck at home so much more did seemingly all at once Millions of Americans decided they needed to do renos of their homes, and that created the early retirement of a lot of kitchen appliances that were still in good working order. So we had all these things happen at once, and that's why just give yourself some time. The appliance prices will continue to improve. This is from Jordan in Texas. Hi, Clark. You often mention that you walk many miles per day, but I don't recall you ever discussing a good brand of walking shoes. This is something I'm currently researching, but there's so many options. Do you have any recommendations? Whatever's cheapest, Jordan. No, definitely not, Jordan. (laughs) Okay. So it's going to be nuts, but there's a real advantage to going to one of these boutique running stores. If you're going to walk a huge number of miles a day or run a significant number of miles a week, but even for a walker going to one of these stores and you tell them, I'm not a runner, I'm a walker, but I'm doing six miles a day or 10 miles a day, six or seven days a week, whatever it is, because there's someone in one of these boutique stores, usually they'll have people who really know their business and they will fit you properly for a shoe that should allow you to do 40 to 50 miles a week walking. And that's what a lot of walkers really are out there, those kind of miles a week. And it's worth the money. But you, we were at lunch last week right near the specialty store. And so what you do is you get fitted, which is great. And then you can buy like last year's color or, you know, look for their clearance shoes that make sense for the type of shoe they fit you for. They had almost no clearance shoes right now. So we walked right out of there. So I'm not buying any yet. I'm wearing right now. These are... Skechers? Yeah, these are Skechers that I just 
wear for the podcast because when a lot of days I'll be doing TV after and on camera they kind of blend in like any they're nice black looking. dress shoes they look like normal so wow. these I don't use for walking for walking right now I'm wearing Sauconies and they're pretty good the Sauconies I'm wearing but I did not buy those from one of these boutiques and I found that the last set of shoes I did get from a boutique were much better. This is from Rick in Ohio. Clark talked about a company called Driveway. I contacted them to sell our Jeep. My question, is it common for them to ask that I send them copies of my driver's license, copy of the title and the res- registration via text or email? They said they have to make sure the vehicle is ours. Yeah, Rick, this is very common. You do this with CarMax's electronic process, Carvana, Uh, Any of the used car marketeers, they're going to need proof that it's actually your vehicle, not a stolen vehicle, that you have clear and marketable title to it. You may have heard some of the stories with Carvana not doing this as thoroughly as they should and delivering a buyer a car that then they can't get title to for long, long periods of time, if ever. So this is kind of a stain on the industry what happened with Carvana in multiple states that's why everybody's all over this now making sure that you are who you say you are and that you do have clear title so that's why they're doing it it's to protect the person who would then from driveway buy your vehicle and that they could actually title it in a reasonable period of time And so it is completely a routine kind of question at this point for you to provide that information and feel comfortable doing it. And we do have a review of driveway at Clark.com. Yeah, driveway is a company that is, uh, it's actually a brand name for one of the big dealer groups. And they're trying to provide a a more car maxi kind of experience for buying new cars and also used cars because the market is moving and the old-timey players who play games and tricks on buyers, they still have some market share, but it's going to keep on shrinking because I can tell you people who are coming up now in their 20s and 30s who are buying their first vehicle, they're not going to put up with it. They will not play your dirty pool games of the traditional new and used car market it's not going to happen so you adapt or like dinosaurs you die coming up next talk about an industry that is going through a wholesale change it's diamonds i'm going to tell you how much it's changing how quickly it's changing and what it means most importantly for your wallet This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Sax.com. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. 
Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. I've been talking about what are known as lab-created diamonds for years, even when it was just really an initial experimental idea. Now, it's taking over the diamond market. I mean, this is the craziest thing ever that dug out of the earth diamonds, the demand for them is in decline. I saw an item recently on CNN Business that the sale of natural diamond engagement rings is down roughly 30%, while the sale of lab-created diamonds for engagement rings is up about 65%. The reason is you get so much more for your dollar. And I remember a few years ago, I was so into this that when I was able to buy for my wife for a birthday gift, I was able to get her two-carat weight total diamond stud earrings that were lab created. The diamonds are spectacular. And it was $1,800 for the pair of lab created diamonds, one carat each ear. And you look at them, they are the most beautiful, sparkling, brilliant, flawless looking diamonds ever. And this is completely different than when you used to hear years ago about cubic zirconia or moissanite or something like that. These are chemically identical diamonds made in a factory. And gosh, that sounds so unromantic, right? But diamonds dug out of the earth, it's dangerous to do so. You know about conflict diamonds and all that. Particularly people that are younger are really conscious of the ethical issues involved in a lot of cases with dug out of the earth diamonds. The funny thing is that De Beers, the big diamond cartel, knows that this is a real danger and they have a protective flank position where they own a very large producer and retailer of lab created diamonds because they figure, you know, you can't beat them, you join them and they're doing it too. So the thing that happens with these lab-created diamonds, whether they're for an engagement ring or any other purpose, is because you don't have the limitation of what's available to discover diamonds in the earth, to find, to find, whatever you call it. What do you call it? A vein of diamonds. Whatever you call it, digging stuff out of the earth. You got to find them. Got to dig them out. It's a very involved process. On the other hand, you know, a clean lab, you just grow them and there they are and they're phenomenal. Traditional jewelers hate them. I had a guy come up to me when I was at breakfast one day who owned a jewelry store and was so upset with me. I mean, he was very, very upset with me that I was talking about these lab created diamonds like they were the end-all, be-all, whatever. He said, okay, so what are they going to be worth later? I said, I don't care. Because the diamond somebody buys from you 
in the secondhand market, it's worth a tiny fraction what somebody paid you. So maybe the same thing with the lab-created diamond, but buying it up front, it's so much cheaper. And the larger a diamond you get, the price gap gets larger and larger. So if you look at an obnoxiously large lab-created diamond, you can buy it for about 10% of what a dug-out-of-the-earth diamond is. When you look at more traditional engagement ring size things, you're not talking about buying it for 10 cents on the dollar. You're maybe talking about buying it for 40 cents on the dollar, but you're getting so much more value. So you could either look at it this way, you're spending less on the diamond, or you're getting a larger diamond than your budget could have afforded you otherwise. There are many sellers of these. You want to make sure you buy from one because in many cases, you're not seeing it in person. You're buying it online from one of the lab-created diamond sellers. You want to make sure you have a right to return it for a period of time for a full refund if you don't like the diamond. But this is a true money-saving opportunity. And guys, be upfront and honest because your intended may not appreciate Maybe a traditionalist and want a dug out of the earth diamond. I just saw you frown on me. I'd I'd be surprised by that. I don't think that's true. Maybe it is. Yeah, Everybody's I don't. Different. I don't think it. It's. I mean, when you're a couple, you got to agree on sure, things. Absolutely. And you wouldn't want her running around showing off her new diamond engagement ring, and then later finding out that if it was important to her that it be dug out of the earth somewhere that it was one made in a factory. You're right. You're right. Who am I to judge? Oh, you changed your mind? No, you're correct. I shouldn't, you know, you should discuss it. Just my thought. I would be upset if my husband got me a dug out of the earth diamond though at this point. Oh, do you have any lab created? No, I don't wear a lot of jewelry. So I just, the only diamond I have is my engagement ring. So, and I love it just as it is. Well, see, on an anniversary, he can do the big upgrade. No, I, he says that he's, uh, I don't want that, but he really says You don't that. want something that you need, like no. you need to have a strap around your nope. neck to be able to hold your hand up because it's so big. <laughs> uh, no. Nope. I'm all set. Because you should see how big some of these lab creators are. I know. Well, and they look beautiful. Oh, and by the way, if you're a jeweler and you're just furious with me, remember the web address, clark.com slash Clark Stinks. <laughs> Uh, David in Florida says, hi, Clark, during my time in the Air Force and now as a federal employee, my wife has chosen to stay at home with our kids and run the manic household throughout our 17 years of marriage and nine moves. We are all grateful for her service to our family. However, when we logged into her social security.gov account, we were surprised to learn that because I assume she hasn't worked in so long that she currently isn't eligible to receive social security when she comes of age. She may or may not go back to work in the future, but my concern is if I were to pass on before her, would she be able to receive any benefits? Could she receive my social security benefit and or my federal pension? Many thanks. So first of all, thank you for your service in the Air Force. Thank you for your service in what you do now with the feds. And I wanted to tell you that the pension you have that you're accruing is something that your wife at the time of your death gets a little more than half of that typically. So there's a big loss in family income at the time you were to pass away. If you were also eligible for Social Security, then she gets a benefit as well from Social Security, 
But again, it would typically be a smaller benefit if she has no accrued credits in Social Security. So usually the way a couple would handle this is you'd fill that gap with life insurance. You can buy level term insurance, which would provide a big sum of money to her at the time of your untimely demise. But if it's much later in life and you're already retired, the life insurance that you would buy level term probably would have expired by then. Because normally the, uh, the thought process of level term is to cover the years of your working lifetime. So this becomes a potentially more complicated thing. So what you do, what I would do in your case, if she does go back to work, this will solve itself because she can be contributing to her employer's 401k plan if she becomes a federal employee. She can be participating in the best retirement plan out there, the TSP, and she can aggressively put money into either of those and build up her own reserve of funds for retirement, at the same time build up years of work credits for Social Security. What's another alternative? If she chooses not to work outside the home, you are the uh, only breadwinner and we still have this income gap The other thing to do would be for her to have an investment account, traditional investment account at any of the low-cost providers I talk about, in addition to each year funding a spousal Roth IRA, which she can put, at this point, $6,000 each year into when she's 50, $7,000 under the current rules, and start building up her own reserve of funds to deal with that gap between the money she will receive moving forward after the time of your death and what you will receive in retirement while you're still living. Okay. I think that's that's a pretty deep that's dive a there with a, a pretty complicated topic. But I really love that you're there trying to make sure that she is not left impoverished at the time of your passing. This is from Logan in Michigan. I have about $12,000 of debt on an American Airlines Wells Fargo card. I'm looking to take advantage of the introductory 0% intro APR on a balance transfer card. I've just paid off another card and reassessed my budget. My budget for the foreseeable future will allow me to take advantage of the intro APR as well as all the cashback options. I make weekly payments on my cards. I can pay off all my normal spending plus $200 each week. Further, I get quarterly profit-sharing bonuses, which will go toward the debt. The plan should allow me to take advantage of cash, pay off the debt within the intro APR window, and allow some breathing room. I've narrowed down the cards, too, and I'm set on the Navy Federal Platinum Card, Discover It Cashback, or the USAA Rewards American Express. I would like to stay with USAA as they're my current bank, but I'm hesitant to switch to Amex. I'm torn between the different rates and perks. There's no reason for you to have a negative brand opinion of American Express unless you have prior personal bad experience with American Express. And USAA is an issuer of one type of Amex card it's fine for you to go with USAA. And by the way, you mentioned Navy Federal, you mentioned USAA. I want to thank you for your service, whatever branch of the military you served in or serve in. So you said something that I may have misinterpreted, but the rewards card privileges, the key is while you have that balance transfer sitting there, 
you do not use the card for any current purchases because of the way the balance transfer is treated at 0%, the payments that you would be making end up discriminating against you with any of these balance transfer offers with current balances. So what you do is you use it only as a balance transfer loan vehicle until you've paid off the whole balance. And that's the point at which you can start taking advantage of the rewards with the card. This is from Mutt in Minnesota. We're looking at getting a third vehicle as our son turns 16 this fall. What horrible timing. The used car market seems so overpriced, but it would be a jump of $8,000 to $12,000 over what we were thinking we'd pay to get a new car. Should we just eat the overpriced used car, shell out an extra 10 k for a new car, or tell him to ride his bike for another couple of years? Well, I like the bike answer, but <laughs> Mutt, that's not really that nice to your... E-bike. 16-year-old. An e-bike, yeah. <laughs> I mean, my e-bike was $398. But I want you to imagine, because in Minnesota in the middle of winter, oh, yeah. you'd have to have snowshoes on that e-bike a lot of times. So uh, even though it hadn't been as much wintertime snow a lot of recent winters. But the good thing is you said fall, because we're talking about a good many months from now. The used vehicle market has softened a little bit, and inventories in the new vehicle market are going to build, and there's no doubt we're going to get back to more normal equilibrium in the vehicle market. You're going to see it's not going to be like all at once, but things are going to get choppily better this year and absolutely better in 23 because the factories are piece by piece, factory by factory, overcoming supply chain disruptions. Capitalists figure it out. You know they want to be able to make these products to be able to sell them. And the distortions happen for different reasons in the used vehicle market and the new vehicle market, but they all kind of went in lockstep with these much, much higher prices. So you're going to find it absolutely better when you look to fall than where things are right now in the used vehicle market. And again, the new vehicle market is going to get better as well. You may find, though, that for the particular models you're considering, that you may find that the price gap will be less than the ten grand you are talking about. And there may be buying opportunities, which is unusual, where buying new would make more economic sense than buying used. Again, I'm looking in a cloudy crystal ball, but it seems pretty clear that supply and demand are going to slowly move more into sync from where they've been as we move through this year. And I want to thank you so much for being with us today. And if you've enjoyed this podcast and you're not a subscriber, I hope you will. But the most important thing is if you've enjoyed this Please share it with those friends and the family members you love. Share with them this podcast because my whole thing, and you hear me talk about it at the beginning of every podcast, is about empowerment. I believe that knowledge is what gives us the power to make better choices, better decisions in our lives. And I want us to do that at a time particularly where money feels more scarce and the cost of things going up. It's more important than normal right now 
for you to be in control of your wallet and have the knowledge to make good decisions. And that's what I hope we can help you do each and every day on this podcast.